This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Summer had always been my favorite season because the warm weather meant I could stop going to the sweaty gym at work in favor of the great outdoors. There was nothing I enjoyed more than cycling on a bike path along the river. Being the creature of habit that I was, I never strayed far from the northbound trail. Yesterday, however, I was feeling adventurous and went south instead. It was a mistake that I will never repeat. It was a tremendously hot day, the kind where opening the front door felt like putting one's head in the oven. The moment I stepped outside, a wave of scorching, humid air assaulted me, forcing me to reconsider my workout schedule. Wiping sweat from my brow, I retreated back into the safety of my air-conditioned home and decided to wait until evening before heading out. By 8pm, the sun's influence was weakening, and the temperature had become slightly more manageable. It was always cooler by the river anyway, so I figured I'd be comfortable once I got there and had wind blowing on me. I took my bike and rode to the municipal park where, as anticipated, the weather was a bit more agreeable. As I arrived at the junction between the northbound and southbound trails, I spontaneously decided to head left, into uncharted territories. The southbound path was surprisingly pleasant, bringing me nearly to the edge of the water. To my left was a dense forest whose trees shielded me from the remaining rays of sunlight. Unlike my usual route, this one followed me an even mix of flat terrain and hills, providing me with more of a balanced workout. The best part was that whether due to the weather or time of day, I was the only person there that evening. It was wonderful. I could go my own pace without being passed by weirdly competitive riders or having to dodge annoying rollerbladers who never stayed within their lines. I had just reached the bottom of a hill when the atmosphere suddenly became dense and heavy. Like I'd ridden into a tub of jello. At first I thought I'd hit a pocket of humidity until I noticed the visual distortions. Everything began to warp as though my contact lenses had been replaced with funhouse mirrors. In my peripheral vision, shadows were twisting and contorting, making them seem alive. A thick fog rolled in from the forest, engulfing everything around me and snuffing out the horizon. If not for an eerie twilight glow emanating from the river, I would have been left in total darkness. 
Don't stop. No matter what, don't stop or you'll die. A woman shouted in the distance. Was she talking to me? Who else could she have been speaking to? I've been writing for over an hour and hadn't seen a soul. I'm not sure what crept me out more. The warning, the intense pressure, or the unusual optical illusions. Regardless, I wanted to turn back. I gripped my handlebars firmly and attempted to perform a U-turn on the narrow path. However, an unseen force kept my wheels fixed in one direction. Have you ever been in the saucer-shaped ride at the carnival? You laid, untied to a vertical plank. The saucer starts to spin, pinning you against the plank for the duration of the ride. That's what it felt like. Try as I might, I could not get my bike to budge because something was pushing my bike to the ground. I hit the brakes softly to disembark and turn myself around manually. As soon as I slowed, a sense of dread pierced my heart like an arrow made of ice. The blurry shadows I'd been seeing at the edge of the forest suddenly made a beeline towards me. Their shapes became clearer as they approached. Hundreds of black-clawed fingertips skittered over the grass like giant spiders, leaving the turf yellow and brittle in their wake. The hands seemed both solid and liquid at the same time, as though they could change states on a whim. When they advanced, they did so with the fluidity of corn syrup, yet they still managed to dig themselves into the dirt as easily as a shovel. The hands were attached to narrow arms that extended from the forest like stretched-out bubblegum. Horrified, I started paddling, trying to put as much distance between the wretched creatures and myself. It was difficult. I felt like I was carrying three times my body weight in the thick air. It was like pedaling with the resistance maxed out, but without the rewarding boost. No matter how much effort I put in, I advanced mere meters in the effort required to cover a mile. A low growl bellowed from the forest. Between the greenery, I could see something massive slithering along following me. The appendages that chased me were all emerging from this single life form, hiding behind the tree line. Sweat poured out of me as I desperately tried to pedal farther from its grasp, but exhaustion was quickly winning out over adrenaline. Each time I tried to slow my pace so I could catch my breath, the sickly dark hands threatened to reach me. I kept my eyes on the road ahead, hoping that if I could just reach out to the end of the bike path, I would be safe. Unfortunately, it was like chasing a rainbow. Every meter forward pushed the horizon farther away. It was only when my muscles started to cramp hard and my lungs became inflamed that I finally gave up on trying to run. I'd given it all my might, pleading for an eternity to no avail. There was no fight left in me. The clawed fingertips came at me like vultures on fallen prey. Fingers shot up and clutched a handful of spokes on my back wheel and they instantly rusted and broke off. I knew I was going to suffer a similar fate. Aching with pain, I hopelessly closed my eyes and braced myself for demise. Now, run, said the voice from before. As though by magic, the overwhelming weight bearing down on me lifted. Gravity had returned to normal. The morsel of hope was enough to give me the strength to jump off my bike just in time to see it consumed by the hands. In seconds, it crumbled into a heap of scrap metal. Quick, into the water, she urged. 
I turned to the river, darted towards it, and plunged into the cool liquid while the arms gave chase. The hands stopped at the water's edge, skittering side to side hesitantly. Finally, they snapped back into the forest like elastic bands. I heard the creature scream and ear-piercing howl. The noise was so loud it caused the water to ripple. I watched in shock as the monster's outline faded in the distance. I turned to thank my savior, but what I saw made my stomach drop. She wasn't a person, that much I knew. Her head was minuscule and wrinkled like a barbaric shrunken tribal head. Instead of hair, an uneven mass of kelp hung from her scalp, dangling in front of her pure white eyes. A thin skin-like film sealed her mouth shut, but the jagged teeth it restrained could easily bike through the semi-opaque layer of flesh in a single chomp. Her half-submerged body was covered in moss, surely hiding horrors beneath. Her webbed hands clutched my shoulders, yanking me into deeper waters. Screaming for bloody murder, I twisted and thrashed, trying to break free from her gasp, but I was already too weak to change my fate. My screams had turned into gurgles as she pushed me underwater. I'd been so stupid to trust her. I was just a french fry she'd wanted to steal from the other creature's plate. It was only a matter of time before I drowned. You hear people talk about seeing their lives flash before their eyes in these kinds of situations. Not me. No, my thoughts drifted to very weird places. Mainly, I worried about how disgusting my cat's litter box was going to be in my absence, wondering how long it would take people to notice I was missing. A day, a week, a month. My house was going to be a mess. Had I vacuumed? Would people remember me as a slob? Just as I was about to pass the threshold of unconsciousness, I remember the pocket knife I carried in case of emergency. My numb fingertips caught hold of it, and I quickly flicked the corkscrew out. With every last bit of my strength, I jabbed the weapon into her hand. She screamed, pulling her arms back to nurse her wounds. My mouth burst open, and I inhaled, water pouring into my lungs. Everything went dark. When I came to, I was on the shore, miles away from the city. I'm not entirely sure how I made it back to the surface, whether I was helped or just surprisingly more buoyant than I thought. I didn't question it, though. I was just happy to be alive, albeit in poor condition. You know that feeling you get when you go to the gym for the first time in years because you made a New Year's resolution? That sore feelings in your muscles you didn't know existed. I felt that, but all over. By the end of it, even my toe muscles were hurting. I eventually got home, vowing to never take the southbound path again. Though, honestly, I think I'll stick to the gym from now on. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
What do old houses, abandoned mines, and asylums have in common? Hauntings. You hear stories all the time of unfortunate couples moving into their new home only to find it inhabited by ghosts and young urban explorers getting in way over their heads. Ever wondered what happens when someone dies somewhere other than in a creepy old house or an abandoned hospital or spooky woods near a cemetery? The answer is a phenomenon known as ghost circles. You've probably seen one and didn't even realize because they're hard to spot if you don't know what to look for. To the ignorant, I mean that in a literal sense of the term, I'm not trying to insult anyone, they seem benign. You might step through one and experience a random chill or pocket of humidity or something else that doesn't warrant a second thought. However, if you stand in the spot long enough, that's when things get really interesting. The first ghost circle I ever saw was in the field behind my college dorm. You could never have seen it from the ground, but my friends and I were drinking on the roof that afternoon after midterms to celebrate or drown our sorrows, whichever was applicable. I peered over the edge of the building and I spotted it. It wasn't a perfect circle by any means, and maybe that's part of why these things are so hard to find. They blend into their surroundings so well, like a gradient, one shade of purple to another. In this instance, it was a patch of grass longer than what surrounded it. The blades cascaded out like a spider plant escaping its pot, which gave the circle a more natural edge. Like I said, you'd never know it walking through the field, but from the air, it was unmistakable. It could have been anything. Maybe some first years were trying to make a crop circle and lacked originality, or maybe the groundskeeper was lazy and missed a spot, but for some reason, I thought of fairies. I know there's no such thing, but my mom used to tell me scary stories about fairy circles out in the woods, and I guess that's what I had in my mind on at the time. I wanted to see it up close, but I wasn't confident I'd be able to find it down there, so I enlisted my friends in a game of throw the can of beer in the circle winner gets bragging rights and a free drink. A few of my buds came close, but it was Matt, a pitcher since grade school, who hit the bullseye. I had every intention of going immediately, but I got dragged into a wrestling match, and then there was another round of beers, and well, one thing led to another. Matt was already awake by the time I got up, and when he saw me heading out the door, he asked where I was going. I lied about picking up our litter, and he offered to help. He brought a trash bag and got to work while I dilly-dallied looking for the can for Matt's marker. Unfortunately, I'd forgotten which it was, so that kind of defeated the purpose. I meandered from can to can, and then it happened. I felt a slight chill as I stood over one in particular. I looked at my feet, and I could barely tell the grass was taller, but it was indeed encapsulated in a circle was about a meter and a half cross, and bearing the subtle drop in temperature, it was unremarkable at first. I stood in silence for a long moment, realizing how dumb I was for being intrigued by a tuft of grass. Just as I was about to step out, however, something flew past my peripheral vision. It was a blur, and I thought Matt had chucked a can at me, but no, he was crouched with his back turned to me, scooping trash into his bag happened again, right at the edge of my sight. Some sort of 
shadow dove like an owl hunting a field mouse. When it flew by a third time, it clipped my shoulder, and I was suddenly filled with a deep, uncontrollable sense of dread. I don't mean I was scared. I mean it scared me. It's hard to explain, but the feeling was artificial, like someone had reached deep into my chest and dropped an ice-hot pack of fear. My goosebumps didn't form on their own. Millions of little fingers popped them out from under my skin. I staggered back and let out a, what the fuck? As soon as I left the circle, I felt okay again. I grabbed a very confused Matt and dragged him into the circle. Despite his protest, I insisted he stay still. It took a minute or so, but he finally let out a startled yelp. He could see it too. He described it as a phantom, as dark, tattered cloth circling along the edge of his vision, getting closer and closer, but never clearer. We wanted to know more. We fenced in the circle with our beer cans to make it easier to spot next time. It looked like some sort of frat bro summoning circle. It wasn't elegant, but it worked. I'll spare you the boring details of our investigation, but suffice to say, we eventually discovered there had been a murder back in the 80s in that field. We contacted the school's supernatural club, and that's where we found out about the concept of a ghost circle. When ghosts aren't bound to a confined space, like a home or a dorm room or anything like that, they get stuck in an artificial, uh, super artificial spot in a circle. It was perfectly safe. They couldn't leave the circle. Ours eventually became a part of a rite of passage for our dorm, not a hazing ritual. We weren't that kind people. But at get-togethers, we'd dare each other to spend as long as we could in the circle. Sooner or later, everyone had a turn. I hear they're still doing it to this day without incident, aside from a few bloody noses and spoiled pants. It was all in good fun. That was my first ghost circle. There were many others. Matt and I became partners in the search for more. We quickly realized they don't all look or behave the same. Sometimes they're overgrown, sometimes they're patches of dead grass. Sometimes they're cold, sometimes they're warm. Sometimes you feel like you're being watched. Sometimes you feel alone, even in a crowd. Sometimes you see the entity, sometimes you hear it, sometimes you feel it. Is there a spot on the street where the concrete is always damp? Ghost circle. A sidewalk where no matter how heavy the rain, it barely ever looks wet? Ghost circle. Dead leaves always land in the same spot? Ghost circle. The one thing they all had in common was the way they elicited this thrilling sense of dread in me, like watching a horror flick with the lights off. The most unique one I came across was in a sand quarry. I wasn't even looking at the time. I was attending our graduation beach party. There weren't any beaches nearby, so the organizers picked a massive quarry and brought an inflatable kiddie pool. I went off exploring, as one does when conversation gets boring, and as I was climbing a dune, I had this weird foreboding feeling. You have no idea how hard it is to notice sand falling in the wrong direction. You see the movement, but that's all it is. Movement. I eventually realized the sand was falling up towards a spot on the side of the dune. And I continued to climb and disturb more sand. It 
fell diagonally up and then sideways toward the spot. It was the trippiest thing. Curious, I inched closer and reached my hand into the circle where I felt what can only be described as a magnetic-like tug. I willingly followed the pull and waited. It usually took a few minutes for something to happen. Not this time. The sand at my feet began to shift on its own. It trickled down the dune as though whatever had drawn it into the circle was now releasing it. What was left formed very purposeful valleys and hills that eventually took the shape of a face. This wasn't a case of pareidolia, either. It was a clear, distinct face with enough detail that I could have identified him if I walked by him on the street. This had never happened before, and as the head slowly rose from the sand as though sitting up, I got spooked and backed away. The circle was larger than I'd initially thought, and it was hard to leave with the magnetic pull dragging me down. It was like climbing out of a pool in a waterlogged wedding dress. I flopped to the ground and used gravity to roll my ass down the dune. I told Matt about it that night, and we discovered the quarry had been shut down following a series of workplace accidents due to poor safety practices. We went back a couple days later, but it was a large quarry, and we never did find the ghost circle again. So, are ghost circles safe, should you approach? If you'd asked me that a week ago, I would have answered yes on both accounts. I would have told you they're creepy as hell, but harmless. I would have told you to be prepared and to board the train straight to Creepsville. Since the Miller Farm incident, name changed for privacy, I've changed my tune. Stay away from ghost circles. Now that you know what to look out for, stay the hell away. It started with an email. The Miller's middle child, Rebecca, contacted Matt and I. She found us through our blog where we detailed our experiences exploring North American ghost circles and gave coordinates for others to investigate too. I've since deleted that blog for reasons that will become apparent as you read what happened. Here's Rebecca's email. Dear Redacted, I need your help. My name's Rebecca. Me and my folks are farmers. My great-grandpa died a few years back and left us his farm. My big brother Samuel moved in recently, and he's been working on the land. Great-grandpa hadn't really taken too good care of it on account of his old age. He was too proud to let us work in his field right until the day he died. Samuel's more interested in cattle than crops. He fixed the fence and moved his cows in last month. A few of them have gone missing since. My pops jokes it's alien because there's no sign of a struggle. Coyotes ain't the cleanest of killers, and there's never so much as a drop of blood or bone left behind. We kind of figured they were being dragged off. I was replacing shingles on the roof of the farmhouse after a bad storm, and I noticed something weird out in the pasture. The cows were hanging around this one spot. I mean, they wouldn't go anywhere near it, but they were all around it, if that makes sense. Like, I saw one calf running straight towards it, and then turning on a dime like something spooked him. It was the weirdest thing. If I squinted my eyes and focused on the colors of the cows against the color of the grass, 
I could see this big circle in the... Shoot, wasn't it called negative space? The circle reminded me of your blog. It was linked on a creepy pasta site I like. It looks a lot like one of your circles. Do you think there's anything to do with it? Would you please come check? I'm worried about the cattle, but I'm more worried about my brother. I know it's silly, and it's probably just a hole in the fence Samuel forgot to patch, but all the same. Help. Sincerely, Rebecca Avery Miller. Name has been changed due to privacy. Matt and I did our due diligence to make sure this was legit. We confirmed the location, looked Rebecca up online, and found a web of family members on social media, and even found Bernard Miller's obituary in the local papers. Reassured, we booked flights and hotel. If only we knew what we were getting ourselves into. Ahead of our trip, Matt and I pulled up satellite imagery of the farm. This was a common practice for us to get a lay of the land to try and identify the circle. The satellite image was a few years old, based on the timestamp in the corner, and predated Bernard Miller's death, so the area was overgrown with vegetation. I scrubbed and zoomed and unzoomed, trying to find the circle, but couldn't see anything. I did, and the field turned kind of muddy red. Near the west end of the field was a lighter patch that stood out much better in red than it had in green. I felt my chest bounce with excitement as we took note of the size. This wasn't your average ghost circle. It had a diameter of at least 15 washing machines, maybe half a dryer. For comparison, the second biggest one had been the diameter of a refrigerator lying on its back. We packed, we left, we arrived, and we were welcomed with overwhelming hospitality from everyone in the family. I honestly wasn't expecting it. Hugs and foods and insistence that we stayed in one of the guest rooms. We canceled our hotel, though part of me worried we were going to be on the menu for next Sunday's dinner. But no, the Millers were very kind, salt-of-the-earth type folk who were grateful us paranormal investigators were coming to help with their problem. Quick clarification, we never falsely claimed to be investigators. We were paranormal bloggers, but the family had it in their heads that we were like those guys on TV. As it so happened, the night before we arrived, they'd lost yet another cow, and they were starting to get desperate. Once the excitement had died down and we'd gotten settled in, we headed out to Bernard Miller's property, about a 10-20 to 20 minute walk away. It was night and day compared to the satellite imagery. Gone were the weeds and bushes, and in their place was a clean, well-kempt pasture with about a dozen cows grazing happily, the smell of which hit us from a mile away. Yuck. Like most ghost circles, it wasn't immediately clear from the ground that it was there at all. The cows seemed to be evenly dispersed, facing different directions and going about their cowly activities. It was only when we sent the drone up that we were able to witness what Rebecca had described. The cows were forming a circular perimeter. It just wasn't quite as distinct as if they'd all been lined up tail to snout in a cow corral. We reviewed the footage and started placing markers once Samuel reassured Matt the cows weren't going to attack him. Neither one of us were afraid, but we had a process, and the first step was to get as much information as we could before stepping inside. 
The second was to outline the circle so we knew where the exit was, so to speak. We were just about done tying a string around the marker post when we heard some commotion coming from the house. There was a woman on her knees wailing loudly like a cat who'd been stepped on. At first, I tried to ignore it, not because I'm an asshole, but because I didn't want to pry. After a while, it became more awkward not to go check on her. Before I even had time to ask, Rebecca and her dad approached and asked if we'd be willing to join a search party. They were all really shaken up about it, saying this woman's kid hadn't come home from school that day, and when she called, they said he hadn't showed up at all. She hadn't seen him since tucking him into bed the night before. We obviously agreed to help and started searching the area until the early hours of the morning, with no luck. The search dogs came, bringing us back up the Miller Field, where they became confused, turned around, and go back to the kid's house. I still don't know if it was sleep deprivation or wishful thinking or what, but on one sweep, I heard the mom shouting, There he is! as she pointed to the field, and when I looked up, I could see a small silhouette standing in the darkness. It was a blink-or-you'll-miss-it type of thing, because as soon as my eye moved away for a second, he was gone. I realized he'd been standing inside... You guessed it, the ghost circle. That, as well as the dog, should have been my clue we were in way over our heads. But for whatever reason, at the time, I didn't make the connection. That some of the search party went missing also went over my head. I think it went over a lot of people's heads. When a kid's missing, are you really going to notice the adults? We probably assumed they went to go get shut-eye. The search lost traction after a day or two without any clues, sighting, or evidence. Matt and I went back to the reason of our visit, the ghost circle on Bernard Miller's farm. The mood was somber as we walked the perimeter. It was weighing heavy. The time came to step into the circle. This was usually my favorite part. No two circles were alike, and I'd been looking forward to seeing what one of this magnitude could do. But I couldn't quite muster the enthusiasm. I was going through the motions, I hopped our little makeshift fence, and immediately I felt an uncomfortable pressure, like someone had cranked the gravity up a few notches. It reminded me of the dune, the way the sand seemed drawn into it, how my own limbs felt forced down. I shot a worried look at Matt, and he looked at me anxiously. I took another step while he stayed at the fence, one foot in, one foot out. This was a safety measure. We took turns being the explorer and the rope. I took yet another step, but it was laborious. I could feel the pressure pushing down on me in a way that can be best compared to flying saucers at carnivals. You know the ones that spin around so fast you get glued to the wall? My guts were being squeezed by invisible hands and I wasn't sure I'd be able to break away. And then the phantoms came. Phantoms, plural. 
They flew overhead, darkening the sky like a coming storm, circling closer and closer to me. They were wicked fast, making it impossible to count how many there were. Three, at least. Probably more. And they were shouting, deafening, deep, bassy noises, as though the earth was hollow and used as a drum or a sonic boom at a tenth of the speed. I'd use an onomatopoeia, but it wouldn't do the sound justice, and it just looked cartoony, which this was not. It was horrifying. Legitimately horrifying. I could feel my bones rattle. I could feel the cavities in my body. I was aware of the narrow space between my cranium and brain. Everything was filled with vibrations. I thought the ground was going to collapse beneath my feet. They were coming closer and closer, and I still couldn't move. And then I felt Matt's arm around me, and he pulled me out with a firm tug. We fell, and I could feel Matt's breath on the back of my neck. It was fast and hot. He squeezed me tight from behind, and I felt safe again. I could feel wet tears staining my cheeks. I don't even know at what point the waterworks started, before or after my rescue. The air was dense, even outside the circle, which helped us determine the circle had gotten bigger. Another first. Rather than excitement, I felt sinking dread at the prospect. Where would it stop? How big would it get? Would it swallow the whole property? Once we'd both calmed down, we pushed the perimeter back half a foot and joined the Millers for supper at Samuel's place. What did you see? Matt asked me as I drowned my worries in mashed potatoes. He'd been skirting the topic, but curiosity had gotten the better of him. I remembered he'd whispered the question, but I also remembered the room falling deathly quiet once it had been posed. I could feel eyes on me as I poured gravy on my potatoes, unsure whether to lie or to worry them all. It was so fucking quiet. There wasn't even a single clatter of a fork touching a plate or someone shifting in their seat. We'd come for this, so I explained there were multiple ghosts inhabiting that circle. Conversation broke out in every direction. Multiple ghosts? Who could they be? Didn't great-great-uncle Stewart get shot by hunters in that field? Aunt Petunia had an accent there, didn't she? Only Matt understood the gravity of the situation, who looked at me in stunned silence. No one knew there wasn't supposed to be multiple ghosts in a ghost circle. That simply didn't happen. It all ended the same way it started. Matt and I were sitting on the roof, looking down at a field with a beer in our hand. Instead of fellow doormates, there were cows. But I mean, they smelled about as bad, so really they're interchangeable. I looked at him from the corner of my eyes, and he looked at the starry night sky. I was about to say something, then the cow started to moo. I looked down, and there was a silhouette of a boy walking the inner edge of the circle. Matt's eyes bugged out, and he let out a startled cuss. That's the kid! We have to get him before... He cut himself off and headed down. I should have told him. I should have told everyone. I, I, I should have said something when he pulled me out of the circle. I should have said something while we walked back to the farmhouse. I should have said something at the table. I was about to say it before we were interrupted. 
Matt scaled down the side of the house like a teenager sneaking out to the bar. I should have shouted from the rooftop, literally, but I was frozen in place. I tried so hard. You have no idea. By the time Matt was halfway across the field, I could only just start to wiggle my hands and feet. I inhaled sharply and I tried to call him back, but all that came out was a meek little squeal. I should have told him. I should have said one of the phantoms was much, much smaller than the others. I finally managed to move and shouted a flurry of pleases and no's and stops, but they went unheeded. I climbed down and ran after them, but by then the childlike shadow was farther into the circle and Matt was already inside, trying to usher the specter to safety. With every two steps the child took, he took one. He was still being cautious, but not cautious enough. I tried so hard to stop it. I ran so fast my pants started to fall. I screamed so loud my throat went hoarse. I gestured and begged. Mid-step, Matt's foot suddenly stomped into the ground in an awkward position. His face was seized in horror. I don't think he could move. I jumped in, but stayed close to the edge. The phantoms appeared almost immediately, densely weaving above like clothes in a washer. I could hear Matt whimper, saying he was stuck. It was that damn gravity. It pulled you in, and it wouldn't let you go once you were deep enough. I plucked one of the marker poles and used it as a bridge between us, but it was too short. I tried chucking it at him as the hopes of knocking him free, but the post thumped to the ground early without finishing the arch of my throw. I cautiously took a few steps towards him, my eyes alternating between him and the circling mass. Shit, the pressure was intense. It was what I imagined astronauts felt like on takeoff. And the noise, that booming noise, rang in my ears. When I was close enough, I stretched my arm and tried to grab Matt's, but I could only lift about halfway before gravity slammed it back down. The pressure was getting stronger, and I had no choice but to double back or get trapped like Matt. I wasn't abandoning him. I was going to use our drone to drop a rope from above and lasso him. The childlike form lifted off the ground in a graceful motion like swimming jellyfish. It joined the phantom cloud in its spinning symphony. The biggest one reached its long, cloaked arms down towards Matt as I unboxed our drone. I screamed Matt's name to warn him. That's, that's probably the last thing he ever heard before those disgusting, gray, twig-like fingers clamped down on either side of his head. He suddenly jerked upright, and then his body fell limp to the ground like a shroud, leaving a ghostly form in the phantom's hands. The phantom inhaled, sucking in the translucent version of Matt. His soul, maybe? I'm not sure what it was exactly. His body flattened into a dark, ragged sheet, soon picked up by an unseen wind and forced to join the others overhead. At the edge of the circle, the pressure increased again. It was growing. I was barely able to scramble out as the spectral shape charged towards me. I rolled to safety, chest tight, barely able to breathe, barely able to think. It lured us in. It had fucking 
lured us in. Nowadays, I have a different name for ghost circles, a much more accurate name. Ghost webs. Don't go near them. Don't run through them for shits and giggles. Don't dare yourselves to stand inside as long as you can. You don't know which ones you'll get stuck to. Like a fly in a spider's web.